1: Brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl
0: Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast Stories Behind the Story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Karen Herbert, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. So you're in Western Australia. Where are you exactly? In Perth? I'm in Perth, yes. Yeah. Very close to the
2: sea. So it's um it's going to be a beautiful day here today, about 28 degrees. Um, we'll get a sea breeze in the afternoon if it gets too warm. It's just absolutely
0: lovely. Gorgeous. You're making me jealous already. Karen grew up in Geraldton. Do you know I've been to Geraldton? You haven't. Uh, I have, um, before moving to Perth to study commerce and later a Master's of Science in Applied Psychology. She has worked across the public sector in higher education, aged care and disability services, amongst other vocations. This is her first book, The River Mouth. I mean, amazing about a mother whose son's murder investigation is open ten years after his death. Wow, I'm so envious of you to have kind of I guess followed your dream and finally got a book published. it's it's surprising i'm I'm surprised I'm surprised
2: to be where I am at the moment and I didn't expect to be here. Um, i'm I'm here because of one of those life circumstances that happens to us out of the blue. And we sit back and we go, oh my goodness, <laughs> what do I do now? And um, and what I did was I put my big girl boots on and I sat down the next morning and I started writing. Okay,
0: well, I I need to go way back, right? Like, let's go <laughs> way back um, and tell me. So when you when you were doing your masters of science in applied psychology. Back then, and as a child, did you ever think you were going to be a writer? Well, actually, before
2: I did my commerce degree, I started a degree in journalism at Curtin University, and I was absolutely rubbish at it. (laughs) I was terrible. So I transferred to commerce. um, If I wasn't going to be a journalist, I didn't know what I was going to do, so I did a generic degree and discovered psychology when I was doing that and loved it, absolutely loved it. So, yes, I was a little bit of a a writer in me way back when, um, but I quashed that down fairly firmly at the Mm. first. Mm.
0: Um, Were you a good reader as a child? I spent most
2: of the time with my nose in a book or in a ballet studio. Oh, wow, so you're a
0: dancer as well. That's not in my notes. Not in anybody's notes.
2: (laughs) If I was going to be anything other than a writer, I would have been a ballet dancer when I was eight, but I just don't have the build for it
0: or the stamina. So tell me your career path, like what kind of jobs? Was it always that you had stories in your head? Because, you know, I mean, some would argue that being a ballet dancer is a storyteller as well, isn't it? That maybe stories have oh, always been a part of your life?
2: They have been, yes. They've always, there's always been stories in my head. And my career was very much a um, a government, not-for-profit, office-based career. Um, and I, I've done like you said, I've worked in a lot of different sectors and enjoyed them all immensely. I've loved every single job that I do. The stories were there. And sometimes I did a little bit of scratching. But, you know, when you're working full time and you're raising children, um, there's not a lot left for good creative energy. And I'd write something, I'd go back and read it and think, oh, my goodness, look, just don't, don't bother. So I don't think it was, I think I really needed to have lived and then for my brain to have had some time to be freed up and to relax and to stop and to think before it really put anything into good quality words.
0: You know, that's interesting that uh, I like that, um, what you just said, I need to have lived. I spoke last night, only last night to Cecilia Ahern, who's um, an author from Dublin and she got her first book published at 21. P.S. I love you. Huge, right? So huge seller, first book, huge seller, and made into a movie, which is huge. And she said she was having a crisis. Just imagine this at 21, thinking, what is she going to do? And that then became the beginning of her career. But it can go either way, can't it? Absolutely. I read so many
2: young writers who are Breathtakingly insightful and able to talk about their lives and their experiences at that point of their lives, and you know, I have a bit of envy about that. I, I look at them, I think, my goodness, how do you manage to do that? Um, but we are—we're just all different, aren't we? Some of us um, process information in different ways. Some are more articulate at different times of our lives. It's—it's it's wonderful that that's the way it is. We can't
0: all have. Books by white middle-class Western women. No, that's right. That's right. It, it really is. And when the story comes, the story comes. Like for her, as I'd imagine it was for you, But she just said she had this story that she had to write down. She didn't have a clue what would happen with it. She didn't even know it would get published. So talk to me about your process. When did you decide, okay, now it's time for me to write? And this is another thing that Cecilia said. The idea came first. She didn't think about the writing process. She had this idea that she wanted to put down. Whereas I think sometimes with all the authors that I've spoken to, there's a love of writing as well at the time that they start writing. Mm.
2: So the day after I was made redundant 2 years ago I sat down and I thought okay I've got I've, I've got a story in my head that has been sloshing around in there for years and years. So I've got time I'm going to sit down and see if I can write it. And it was a story that came from two different places. It came from a desire to a desire to write about older people because working in aged care the best way i ever spent my time was listening to people tell me who they were and tell me who they were when they were younger and it was it's so important for us as we get older that the people around us don't see us as just a little old lady or a silly old man they want to know they want us to know that they were important that they did stuff with their lives, um, that they were managers or architects or carpenters or nurses. And I wanted to write a book with characters who were older people who were whole people, not just old people. So I wanted to do that. Um, And I also had a little bit of a story coming back from my time when I worked at Murdoch University, there was um, an animal research lab at the university that was way, way, way back down um, the corner of the campus. And they were breeding research mice and research mice are incredible putting aside the ethics of animal research for the moment, there's so much work that goes into breeding a mouse and keeping it healthy and clean and free of contaminants so that they can be involved in research. And I, I often looked at this, this little building down the bottom of the campus and thought, wonder what would happen if all the mice escaped. <laughs> What would We'd have a plague. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have a plague. but What would be the contagion impact of that? Yeah, wow. and, um, and so those two ideas came together when I wrote Castaways. And Castaways was the first um, manuscript of mine to be accepted for publication by Fremantle Press. The River Mouth, which is the book that's coming out in October, was the second one.
0: Oh, okay. I thought this was your debut crime novel. It is. It is because it comes out first. Ah, okay. (laughs) Okay. Now I'm following it. So... You had this idea that had been swirling around in your head for some time, this crime fiction idea. It's a really fantastic premise. You wanted to include old people. I love that, whole people. I'm going to use that forever if you don't mind. I love that. Please go. Please yeah, It's go. wonderful, isn't it? And so you started writing. Talk to me about that process because, you know, sit down and decide to write a book, you know. 80,000 words 90,000, whatever it is yeah. i mean that's a that's a different skill set to what you had right it's a very different skill set but there's lots that the same
2: is the same i look i'm a worker i was made to work when i sat down to write i worked from nine till five monday to friday i sat here in my office i got up had lunch made oh, me wow. went back worked again um and uh, look, I know how to be persistent. I know how to get myself through a project. And Did you
0: know how to write a book? No, no. And I,
2: <laughs> <laughs> damn it, it's just a project, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I understand now that in the writing world, there are plotters and there are pantsers. And I think I'm a little bit of both, like most people are. So I think. The best way for me to describe my writing process is I I know I'm driving to Geraldton. I know I'm starting in Perth. I know when I get to Geraldton, mum will offer me a cup of tea and dad will ask me whether the road was busy. I know I'll probably stop somewhere on the way, Caterby, Badgingarra, and buy a Chico Roll, but I don't know where. <laughs> I know I'll get stuck behind some trucks, uh, but I, I, I don't <laughs> I don't know where. I don't know what will happen on the way. Um, And I know I'll have to make some adjustments on the way. And that's how I write.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like that. (laughs) So how long did it take you? It took me
2: um, about 12 weeks to get Castaways down and then another 12 weeks to get The River Mouth down. Um, It took me a lot longer to edit. Um, Once I had a manuscript in front of me, I didn't really know what to do with it. I didn't know about structural editing. I didn't know how to approach copy editing in a um in a measured kind of way. So um, I joined a writing group. I, I went on a um a six-week nuts and bolts course um at Fremantle Arts Centre. Um that put me in touch with other people who gave me guidance and tips and support and encouragement that was that was wonderful and I I I slowly worked out how to understand my writing understand where the gaps were um, where the plot inconsistencies were where the characters didn't make sense Um, I got beta readers to read and give me feedback and worked it out from there with support from the writing community.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month.
3: get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: How did you go about approaching publishers? I mean, how did you go about being published? Um, I just wrote to them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Simple.
2: (laughs) I wrote down a list of publishers and I found out how to submit to them and I followed their process.
0: And when you delivered to Fremantle and they said yes, how did you feel? Um, I remember it was a
2: Wednesday morning when Georgia Richter rang me up um, and she said, Hello, I'm Georgia from Fremantle Press. Um, we've just had a what's the what, what do they call their meetings? where they- Acquisitions meeting. Acquisitions meeting. Thank yeah. you. I'm still wet behind <laughs> the ears. I? And she said, And we really loved your book and we'd like to publish it. And the most erudite thing I could think of to say was, What?
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then she laughed and I laughed. And then she said a whole lot of words about what was going to happen next, which I just could not take in. And at one point I said, look, I'm so sorry, Georgia. Can I call you back? I just need to call my mum.
0: Yeah. And she, and she said, you know what, you call your mum and we'll talk later. Yeah, how wonderful. And did you, was it an overwhelming feeling as well? Because, you know, that's just the beginning, as you probably found out.
2: It's totally overwhelming, totally yeah. overwhelming.
0: it's um
2: having something published is such a such a thing it's such a privilege for someone to take your book and say, we'd really like to put all this time and this money and effort into making it publishable and putting it out there on the shelves that's 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 big
0: it <laughs> so, is big, yeah. Did you enjoy the editorial process?
2: Oh my goodness, I loved it. I absolutely loved it.
0: I feel as though some people aren't open to that. And that really, I think, is, you know, what makes a book better. You know, I mean, of course, it's what people I think sometimes are resistant to is their work being touched. But what you've got to understand is all those people around you from the publishing house, all they want is for that book to succeed, to be the best book it can possibly be.
2: That's exactly right. I um, I attended a, a a writers seminar early early in two thousand and nineteen, I think it was, or two thousand and twenty, um, and and heard George to speak. George is my editor. And and she said exactly what you've just said. She said we wouldn't be editing your book if we didn't love it and completely believe in it. And that's what I felt all through the editing process was this wonderful, warm cushion it's of a collaboration, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really was. And and the the way the way she approached it in in such a an appreciative inquiry kind of mode was just delightful. You know, she would say things to me like, "Oh, Karen, I, I don't really understand this character's motive here. Why did he do this thing when he was already um, uh, quite well off and didn't need any money?" And I would, I'd sit there on the phone because we were in COVID at that point and, and doing all of this remotely. And and I'd sit there shaking my head thinking, oh, stupid woman. And I'd say, well, of course he did it that way because he he had this and he had this and that pressure and that pressure. And I'd I'd talk at her for five minutes and then she'd she'd stop and she'd go, Oh, I really understand that now. It makes total sense. You didn't put that in the book. <laughs> Love
0: that. <laughs> let's pop it in there shall we (laughs) love that it's fantastic isn't it that is a good story uh tell me a little bit about the story of the river mouth the river mouth
2: so in the river mouth 15 year old Darren Davies is dragged from a river with a bullet wound to his Mm. chest and he dies and the killer is never found 10 years later His mother, um, who still lives on the cliffs above the river, she receives a visit from the police and her best friend has died, they tell her. She was uh, found in a remote campsite, dead, because it's an unexplained death, the coroner investigates, and they discover that her DNA matches the DNA that was scraped from under Darren's fingernails when he died 10 years ago. So the investigation is reopened, and then the story tracks the investigation from two different points of view. It uh, tracks the mother, Sandra's point of view, um, from the moment she hears about her best friend's death to the end of the story when we find out what happened, and it also tracks Darren and his friends from two weeks before he died until the incident on the bank of the
0: river. Beautifully written story and uh, has got a real sense of place as well. I Thank really, yeah, the setting was just, I felt it. I smelt it. I—it was oh. It was really powerful, I thought.
2: Oh, I'm so pleased. Yeah. I'm so pleased to hear that. I I started with the setting. I started with the scene that became Chapter 4
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, on the banks of the river with the three boys playing on a rope swing. And um, the setting that I imagined was a place where my sisters and I used to roam when we were kids, where, where we'd go, where we could be out of sight of adults, it was a place that was, well, unmonitored but um, maybe, you know, a little bit dangerous as well. There were people down there that maybe our parents didn't want us to run into. There were submerged rocks in the river. There were probably snakes. It was just one of those places where kids can go and just expand and discover themselves. So it was a setting that was important to me and I'm really pleased that you, mm-hmm. you responded to it well.
0: Yeah, yeah, beautiful book. So, do you, having the career that you've had, are you now calling yourself a writer? Um,
2: sometimes I am when I'm feeling really confident, and other other times I'm not. Um, I am spending part of my time um, back in human resources where I started my career, which I'm really, really enjoying and the other part of my time writing. So at the moment, I'm in a lovely space where I'm learning how to promote the river mouth and and having conversations with people like you. Uh, I'm finishing off editing Castaways, which comes out in September next year. And I'm also working on the first draft of my third novel. So I've got, I've got lots of lovely stuff that I'm getting to do um, right now. And it's, such a joy. I'm
0: really very fortunate. You are. You're a real inspiration, Karen. All right, well, I'll let you go because you've got a lot on. Karen Herbert, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. If you'd like more information about Better Eating, follow us on Facebook or visit
1: betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio.